0: But the intention is that we get to know God better. That's what this summer is all about. We get to know God better, not just in knowledge, but in experience, that we get to walk with him more intimately, that that the natural thing that happens is just what we sang about. We recognize the work that God's done through his son, Jesus Christ. We recognize the way to the cross. We recognize that our sin was what sent Jesus to the cross. And that as we just now live in light of that, live in light of our salvation, live in light of the gift we've been given, that we um ha- have a desire not not a not a need that to to gain his approval or his acceptance, but a desire to love him by giving up our life by being serious and intentional about the way we live our lives today and that's what this whole whole summer's about that's what the sermon series have been about and and we're going to continue today in this second series that we've worked through this summer in, in the bread of life and just to just to remind you if if you're if you've missed one or two of these or are are not going to be here for something. They will literally build on one another. It's not like normal sermon series where they're loosely connected. One builds on the other. If you miss something from the first week, there's things you're going to miss today. And I'll try to review a little bit, but we can't go back and re-preach the messages. We'd never get done. So please go look on the internet and find us on the internet and listen to these. I think you'll get get more from it that way. But again, like I said, we're going to be... Talking about the bread of life and and this this teaching that Jesus gave as he talked about being the bread of life. And to this point in the series, we've seen two points that he highlighted in his work of salvation. First, he pointed out their false motives. He showed that these people were showing up looking for him for all the wrong reasons. And in their false motives, we not only saw that they had an issue, but we were able to see that we had an issue. You see, as we recognize our motives are broken and our motives are false and, and always revolving around us and selfishly uh, driven, those motives bring us face-to-face with our sinful nature. We are irretrievably, um, uh, uh, irrevocably broken. There's nothing, there's nothing in us today apart from Christ, outside of Christ. Let me say it like that. There's nothing in us today apart from Christ that's right or that's good. And I know that's difficult for us to hear because we like to think of ourselves as good people. I've never killed anyone, I must be a good person. I even go the speed limit most of the time. I must be a good person. That's not what makes us good. We are irrevocably broken on our own. And second, Jesus corrected them as as these people found him and, and saw him, they're like, Jesus, how'd you show up at this place? How'd you get here? And as he begins to teach them, he doesn't teach them what they expected to hear, But he tells them, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. And in their mind, immediately they think, what do we do then? What's the process? What's the tradition? What's the law? What's the rules? Where's the boxes we're going to check off to do this work that's going to gain us eternal sustenance? And he corrected them. And he showed them that that what he was teaching them was not for them to do something else, but to believe in the one who's done it for us. You see, he called them to a place of faith. And I told you last week, this may be the most important Bible verse for us to understand as believers today. The the work of God is to believe in him who he sent. As believers, it's extremely important not just to enter into this faith, not just to enter into salvation to believe in Christ, but every day. For the rest of our existence here on this on this on this big blue marble that we call home at this point, this big blue ball that 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 we we live on and exist on with others it's every day to believe in him it's not first read the Bible, pray us a certain amount uh, uh, don't sin don't do not do the things that the world does, separate myself from the world and, and live a, a godly and holy life. Those are things that are a result of faith. <clears throat> but first and foremost, it is to believe. Everything, everything you do is to be given towards that point. And so he corrected them in that. The work of God is believing. In, in these two first points, we see the perspective of salvation that we're almost familiar with. Because it's the part of salvation that we can see and experience. I mean, we can we can see it in our life. We 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 can tell stories about it. We can, in a sense, we can actually hold on to it. Because if we look at our hearts, even today as believers, we can look at our hearts and we can recognize our sinfulness. If you came to trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior, there's a point in your life where you where you recognize you are broken. I, I'm sinful. And I need a savior. There, there's not a person in this room, there's not a person that's ever lived or ever will live that's going to come to faith in Christ that this is not going to be true about. There's going to be a time where they come to a place where they recognize their sinfulness. Well, we get that, we can understand that. We can understand place in our faith in Christ, we can understand what it is to learn to trust in Him for our salvation because it's something we experience. But today, we're going to get a bigger picture. We're going to get a, a slightly larger, more... more. We're going to, it's kind of going to be like a, a behind-the-scenes view of what's going on in salvation. It's almost as if God, in, in His Word, is going to pick us up and put us on a, on, a, on a mountaintop that we can look out and see a divine perspective on what He's done to save us. That's what this is really about. And in fact, the next few weeks will be about this. <clears throat> but we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. If you've got a Bible, John chapter 6 we're going to pick up in in verse 28 just to keep kind of the context there we go we're going to we're, we'll we'll um and I'll I'll talk to you along the way just to kind of remind you where we're at and what's going on and i'm just going to apologize now i've got a cup of water here i'm going to continue to sip on it along the way but it's like i'm going through puberty again my voice is cracking i think i shouted too much on that that one song that matt you know i'm shouting to praise god and here we go. So it's just bear with me. God's good. Thankfully, He doesn't depend on me having a clear voice to teach His truth. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just keep going. John chapter 6, we'll start in verse 28. <clears throat> then they said to Him, What must we be doing to do the works of God? You remember that verse from last week. They, they think, All right, well, there's something we've got to do to earn this eternal sustenance. Jesus answered them. And, you know, I don't know if I said this last week. If I didn't, take the time now circle this, underline it, highlight it, do something. Whatever you're reading the Bible on, make some note here. This is important. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do? What what must we say? Or I'm sorry, what, what, (laughs) I'm sorry, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, truly, truly, I say to you. Remember, that's a place where our ears should pick up, perk up. Truly, truly, this is, this is truth. This is, this is relevant. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now, isn't that the response you would think? I mean, here's, I I was in uh, Senegal. This would have been, I don't know, several months ago. (laughs) I just put it like that. I mean, calendars and I don't get along. So um, I was in Senegal and I was telling the story of of the woman at the well and how how Jesus told her if, if she had known who he was talking to, that he would have given her water that would have never left her, that she would never be thirsty again. And I was talking to a couple of guys that happened to be well diggers. Now, I don't know if you've ever dug a well, but they don't have backhoes and they don't have drills and they don't, they're doing it by hand. So they're digging 40 feet into the ground by shovels, pulling it up with buckets. And, and then they got to get out, you know, they got to find a way out when they're done. It's not a one man gig. I mean, if you get down there by yourself, you're done, you're there, that's it. And so I just asked these two well, well diggers, I was like, wouldn't it be amazing to drink some water? you'd never thirst again. They're like, yo, I want the water. Give me that water. That's just exactly what's happening here. Jesus is telling them about this bread that brings satisfaction, this bread that provides sustenance forever and ever, and you can just see it. Man, I'm never going to have to go out in the cornfields Again, I'm never going to have to go out and reap wheat again. I'm never going to have to watch my wife beat on those grains until they're turned into flour. I'm never going to have to wait on the baking to happen. I'm never going to have to feel that weight and that pressure again. Give me this bread always. You see it? They want it. They long for it. They say, give me this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, they're, they're picturing loaves of bread. They're picturing, they're picturing what they get out of the oven. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They had Jesus right there in front of them. Think about this. Right there in front of them. They they had him standing there. And yet they refused to believe in him. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a drum or kicking in a dead horse as it comes to people. But this is the only drum to beat, the only horse to kick. We're blind to this truth. We can't understand it. We're helplessly and hopelessly lost in and of ourselves. There's nothing in us. There's no way that we can be convinced of anything else without God preemptively acting. Just consider... Consider what we just read again in light of some of the contextual things that I'm going to share with you now. These people were following Jesus for a reason. They came and experienced bread being broken and fish being broken for a reason. In John chapter 6, verse 2, it's where the, where the story begins to unfold. It says this, a large crowd was following him. This is before he broke the fish and the bread. This is before they ate their fill. A large crowd was following because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Here they are. They've already seen him bring hearing to the deaf, and, and they've seen him give sight to the blind, and they've seen him make the lame walk, and, and they've seen him heal the sick and make them well. They've heard his teaching. In fact, if you're reading with me through these 60 days of the New Testament, as as you read these other perspectives of the gospel writers, you'll know that before this ever occurred, they were recognizing the authority with which he came and taught. They were amazed at his teaching. And the writer Luke tells us that that didn't start when he was a man, but even as a boy in the temple when he taught, they were amazed. These people were following him because of their experience with him because they'd seen signs already. And and when he sees them coming, as John writes, he tells us how Jesus responds. In verse 11 through 13, it says, Jesus then took the loaves. Let me just catch you up. Let me go ahead and just catch you up on this. Jesus saw the crowd and his apostles want to send the crowd away to find food. And Jesus says, no. How are you going to take care of this? How are you going to feed them? And they are there. What are we? That's 2,000 denarii. How We don't make enough money in a year to do this. How? And Andrew, I don't know what makes Andrew think this, man. Andrew comes up, It's like, well, you know, I got a guy, a little kid here with five loaves and two fish. Yeah, really? I, I bet his I bet his his brother Peter and the other apostles, I bet they're looking at, you idiot. <laughs> you see these people? Five thousand men! Do you see them? Come on. Five loaves and two fish. And Jesus takes it. In verse eleven, he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he praised the thank you, Father, for your provision. Now you put that in the context of where he's standing at with five loaves and two fish and thousands of people to feed. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much. As they wanted, I think this is significant. They didn't eat eat just a little bit. It's not like they each got a a portion, a little bite. They ate as much as they want. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is a big deal. Huge Huge miracle. And here Jesus is. Here they're following Jesus because they'd seen a sign. And Jesus responds to them by giving them another sign. He works another miracle for them to provide for them. And do you know how they respond? In 14, it says this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Two things. They see the marriage. Jesus, he didn't break this bread over here in secret. He did it out there so everybody could see and they saw it and they said, this is the prophet that's been foretold. If you go back to Deuteronomy, we're not gonna turn there, we don't have time, but, but all the way back in Deuteronomy, For generations, they'd been expecting a prophet, the prophet. One who'd come with authority to speak the word of God, to to use and wield his power on their behalf. They'd been looking for generations. And this crowd sees this. He is the prophet. And not only do they see him as a prophet, they see him as a king. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the Jewish tradition was to make a guy king. I don't know if people could just walk up and say, hey, we like you. We want you to be king. But that's what they thought needed to happen. And Jesus saw it. He recognized it and he said, it's not, that's not my call. That's not what I'm here for. And so he withdrew from them. So here, Jesus has been working signs. They see another sign, and they even recognize these things as signs, pointing to him as God's servant, God's prophet, and and the one that's to be ruling them. But what happens the next day? Jesus says, believe in him whom he has sent. Oh, well, Jesus... uh, before we get to that, can you show us a sign? I don't know if you've got kids. Maybe you will recognize this. Maybe maybe you can even remember your parents telling stories. You just never seem to satisfy them. There's always something else. You know, if you've if you've had an infant, you know that about every three hours you're going to have to feed that baby, and they don't care if you're asleep or not. Do they? No. Nope. Every, every so often they're going to be coming back to you in need. And every so often, and in fact, more often than not, you're going to be coming to them and showing them that they've got mistaken perspectives, that they got fallen views, that they need help, that they are not complete by themselves, that they need to be dependent on something else. And here they are. Here are these Jews. It's almost like they just forgot everything that they've been experiencing. Their eyes, they they, they could see with their eyes. But they were blind to see what Jesus was doing. They couldn't see. They couldn't understand. In fact, it it gets so bad. In John 6, 66, towards the end of of this moment where Jesus is teaching, it gets so bad. As Jesus is teaching, they're frustrated and they're getting upset with him. And it says, after this, after his teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. In fact, if you read the, if you read the the, the story yourself and you, and you see it in context, you'll see that Jesus is teaching. They find his teaching hard and they leave. And in one moment, he's teaching and talking to thousands. He's got like the first mega church. You know, I mean, Jesus has this this following of people that that they are just overwhelmed by him and loving the blessing of knowing him and experiencing him until he calls them to this truth that you must believe in me. And you know what happens? Verse 66 happens. And verse 67 says that then he begins to speak to the 12. And I don't know for sure. There's no way for us to know. But it's like he's gone from this megachurch pastor to to leading a house church of a dozen. Just that fast. Because they can't get this one point. They don't want to believe this one point truth. That's why I say it's so important for us to understand the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. If we don't get anything else right, that's the thing we need to get right. As I thought about this, as I as I prepared this message, as I have read this, this before and preached through it, I always come to this place and I ask this question. I can't help but ask this question. With these people that that were so close to Jesus. And they they saw him with their own eyes. They could touch him with their hands. If they didn't believe, how could anyone ever believe? If we're going to learn to trust Jesus, if, 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 if so many couldn't do it, how is it even possible for you and me today to learn to trust Jesus? Who can be saved? The the title of this message is, Who's Coming to Dinner? Who's going to enjoy the bread? Who's going to eat the eternal food? Who could? If those people that were walking with him, that could see the dust raise up from his feet, that could see the spit fly out as he taught, that could watch the blind man see and the lame man walk, if they missed him, how will we ever find him? What hope is there? Of ever knowing. Maybe like me at different points in your life. In your Christian walk you've thought. Man if Jesus would just come down and show himself. That would be so easy to get people to believe. This story shows that that's not true. Man, If Jesus would just give me power. Let me do the things that Paul did. Or, or let somebody in this church do the things that Paul did. And, and Peter did. And if, if we could just pray over and touch these handkerchiefs like they did and and then people would take them and touch their sick friends and family members and they'd be healed if Jesus would just do that again oh man people would be coming in droves they'd be believing this story tells us that's not true verse 66 lets us see that they might come for all the wrong reasons but when called to the one faith In the one Christ, nothing else. Most will turn away. it makes me ask, who then will believe? Who can believe? How is it that I stand here today now able to testify to you that I believe? How is it that I was so moved and so passionate about the work of God in my own life that I wanted to share it with others that I went around the world to do it? How is it? That I gave up a job where I could be making lots of money, eventually, maybe, to live on this. I love what you guys do for me. Don't hear me complain, but it's a much different lifestyle. How is it that I could ask my family? How how, how could I believe it so much that I asked my family to do it? I'm not the only one that gives up and serves and does and and lives life faithfully. I know that. I know that this room was filled with people that do it. How is it that you got to the place that you believed? How is it that we got to stand here last week with a a woman who who had come to a place where she trusted and even in spite of the fact that she was scared about how people would question and wonder why she is at this late date in her life just now getting baptized, she still stood up and professed her faith and followed Christ in baptism. How is it that that same woman on the morning of her baptism didn't just bring and invite people to see it, but she was proclaiming it to everyone she could through the vehicles of communication that she had? How is it that when she went home, she was so moved and excited that she wanted people to know that she was trusting in Jesus, that she's proclaiming it? How is it that that happens? How do we get that faith This is it. Jesus tells us. He doesn't leave us hanging. He he doesn't leave us with with this question. He tells us. As he continues to teach, it says in verse 37. We're not going to be able to deal with all that 37 teaches. But we're going to deal with at least the first part of it. He says in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me. I will, I will never cast out. Now there's there's three divine salvation doctrines represented in that verse. We're not gonna deal with all of them. We're gonna deal with one today. Just don't have time. In the coming weeks, in the next couple of weeks, we'll we'll see the other two laid out. And we're just gonna deal with this phrase, all that the Father gives me. See, in these few words, in these in these five or six words, it looks like six words. Jesus introduces this huge doctrine. Of election, he doesn't expound on it or answer it. Answer many of the questions that might arise from it, but he just kind of he just kind of teaches it as if it's just well, this is just the way it is. It's kind of like the way I would teach a little kid about why the sky is blue. Hey, the sky's blue. I wouldn't go into all the Rayleigh separation or the, the way the light refracts and breaks and, and, and stretches. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to talk about the radioactive process that's happening. And, and honestly, I just looked that stuff up on Wikipedia, so I may be totally wrong. <laughs> I just checked it out for this message. Hey, I, you know why the sky's blue? Because the sun shines during the day. It's pretty obvious, right? I mean, the sun's shining, the sky turns blue. When the sun goes down, it turns black and we get to see the stars. That's amazing. <laughs> Love it. I couldn't teach it any other way but that. But I mean, it's just, a, it's just a truth. I mean, you have to just kind of deal with it, right? That's exactly what Jesus did. But, but, but don't, 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 don't let me think or leave you thinking that, oh, well, there's just this, this is one little phrase. You see, this is not something he just says in passing. This becomes a major point of the rest of this teaching. He says it over and over again. He says it at least, he says it three other times at least. He says in verse 39, I, not me, but Jesus, will lose nothing of all that he, the Father, gives me. God, his Father, gives him people. And he's not going to lose them. In verse 44, he says, no one can come to me, That means believe in me. This whole bread of life and and him talking about people eating the bread is a metaphor for believing in him. No one can come to me, believe in me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to Christ, no one believes in Christ, unless God preemptively works. In verse 65, he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. The ability to believe, the the opportunity to believe, the the realness of faith comes as a gift from God. While he doesn't give us all the answers, I mean, it, it raises all kinds of questions. And people have been struggling with this throughout all of church history. I'm not gonna be able to answer all your questions today. It's not gonna happen. I'd love to teach another hour on it but you're going to leave with questions. But I'm going to ask you to look at the scripture and see what Jesus says. What does he say? I think he makes it pretty clear. And I want to show you three things I think he shows us about that. I think we can build from his perspective. We don't get all the questions answered, but I think we're able to deduce and understand some things about what he's saying about election. It's our word to define what Jesus is saying. Election, to define it, let's just do it. Number one, I I think God choosing or election is God choosing who to save by giving his chosen people to Jesus. He's choosing who to save and he gives those people to Jesus and granting that his chosen people come to trust Jesus or come to know Jesus. As the creator of all things, let's just deal with this. As the creator of all things, all of creation belongs to God. Is that right? I mean, would you agree with me on that? If, if, if you buy a house, you don't let anybody else live there without following some rules of yours, right? I mean, you, you probably all grew up with a dad that said, hey, as long as you're under my roof, you're doing what I say, right? I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. Well, hey, as long as you're living on this earth, you're gonna live by God's standard. You're gonna deal with God's teaching. You're gonna, have to, you're gonna be um, sub, submit, um, subject, is a better way to say it. You're gonna be subject to his purpose and design. It's the way it works. I mean, this is a great reason. This is a reason why people are so quick to try and push off creation. And they want to adopt evolutionary theories because you get rid of the creator, you get rid of everything that goes with the creator. Well, sin doesn't exist anymore if you don't have a creator because there's no one defining it except me. If if there's no creator, I'm my own God. I get to do whatever I want. And and hey, I'm a pretty good person. So you know what? I'm going to make up this idea that I'm going to, I'm going to, to heaven one day you don't need without a creator everything else doesn't matter but the bible doesn't teach that the bible teaches that there's a creator and by that means we, we become subject to him subject to his teaching and here we see it i mean god is a choosing god he's always been a choosing god Did he do a? Did he do a survey and a vote to see who should get to be saved from the flood? He's like, did he come down and say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna take ballots on on people that don't want to drown or that don't deserve to drown"? Did he do that? No. He chose Noah and his family. And and did Noah and his family get to say, hey, God, we we got these good friends, God. You can't let them go. No. Everybody drowned, but Noah and his family, they died. It wasn't a happy moment where everybody was kind of sitting back, sipping on their martinis, and, oh, it's a rainstorm. No, the water started to rise and they got scared and they probably were frightened and those that knew Noah was building a boat probably went to the boat, but the door was closed and they died. God chose sovereignly to do that. God's a choosing God. Abraham was a pagan man raised by pagan parents living in a pagan land. Did God take a survey? Hey, I need somebody to be the father of faith. You know somebody that fits that bill? God chose. The Israelites, and they're messed up people, jacked up. In fact, they were described in the Old Testament, even after experiencing God's grace and power, they were, experienced as being a, they were described as being a stiff-necked people, rebellious against God. They had just gone through the the, the sea on dry ground, watched the army that was coming to destroy them be overwhelmed by the sea. And a few days later, just days later, they're building idols to worship. But God chose that people. He he didn't come down and, 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 and gather all the leaders of the nations together and say, hey, who wants to be my people? He chose. God is and always will be a choosing God. He leads and rules in sovereignty. We have to deal with this. We have to to recognize that God chooses. And these same sovereign choices that we see happening as he has worked among his people are the same sovereign choices that are being made in this passage. Who comes to Jesus? All that the Father give me. All that the Father give him. Every person that God has set aside and said, this one is mine. Come to Jesus. A second, in these, in, the, in these words from Jesus, we can deduce that God's election precedes man's faith and man's faith is dependent on God's election let's just go back and look at it again. It's going to take a little extra time. I I just want you to see it. In verse 39, I I will lose nothing of all that he has given me. And in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws me. I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. This is not a case of the chicken and the egg which came first. It's, It's clear what Jesus is teaching. God chooses and people respond in faith. This is like that last song we we sang Jesus saves, and the natural desire is to give up our life. But his election precedes that faith. Without God choosing to save us, we'd never responded. We would have never believed in Jesus, we would be just like those Jewish people standing in front of Jesus, witnessing all of his work, seeing all of the evidence, walking behind him, coming to him to eat. And still, he would say about us, you don't believe. Some of of us, this, this truth is hard to swallow. It's difficult because of the questions it raises in our mind, but also because whether we understand it or even realize it about ourselves in this moment, we like the idea that we chose God because that says something good about who we are. And and I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I look every one of you in the eye. I hope that you've chosen God. But let me tell you, you've only chosen God because he chose you first. And and this is difficult because because it removes us from that process of salvation. It, it, It pulls us back and says we really had nothing to do with it. We only did it as a response to the work that he'd already started in us. The people in this passage, you and I, are completely incapable of believing. But don't hear this as some horrible thing. Here it is the blessing that it's intended to be. In fact, the Bible speaks of this as a blessing. It speaks of it positively. It's only in our culture, it's only in our context, it's only in our understanding of the gospel that this even becomes negative. But the scripture just deals with it as if it's a blessing. Listen to these things as it, it, the scripture speaks of election as a comfort. Romans 8, 28, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we like saying that verse, right? Because that means that even the worst thing I'm dealing with. Well, God's going to use it for the good, for my good. I lost 100 bucks in my bank account this year. I was, I was robbed. Let's do it like that. I was robbed of 100 bucks, but I bet God gives me 10,000. He's going to take care of me. He's going to give me what I want. The worst thing that could possibly ever happen to you, God's going to use for good. For those, but who's this? There's a a, a people that this is uh, particularly applicable to. This isn't everybody in the world. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew. You know what foreknew means? It means he knew you already, right? I mean, that's... You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand that. He knew you already. People, he already knew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the the idea of election. He's chosen and, and made this his plan all along to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. That means he saved you. He said, you're righteous. And those whom he justified are glorified. That means if you're sitting here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and your sins have been forgiven, you not only have had that forgiveness of sin, you have the certainty that one day you'll stand with him in glory. But it's a blessing that God's done this work because he is taking everything in your life to move you in that direction. It should should come as a comfort that God chose you. It it should come to you, as the scripture tells us, as a reason to praise God. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. We're not going to get too deep into this. We're actually going to work through Ephesians in the fall but it tells us even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, do you hear it? We were chosen before the foundation of the world. We were chosen to know Christ. We were chosen by and and through Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why did he do it? How did he get there? Because of his will, because of his sovereign will. And and why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Election should move us to adoration and praise. And it also shows us election as an encouragement to evangelism. 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Who? This is a pastor. I'm not enduring everything for everyone in the world. I'm not going to give my life up for for every person that comes up and says I need a buck. I'm not going to give my life up and sacrifice everything I know for, for the person across the street. I'm sacrificing my life for the sake of the elect. Why? That they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. Paul gave his life up. With confidence, knowing that God had chosen. I I want just to remind you about these cards. I don't know how long it takes to sit and pray over people that are lost, that need to know Jesus. But you can pray in confidence. Pray believing that God can show up and show them the truth. And you can believe that as you share, if this person is of the elect, that they will respond when it's ready and when it's time. It doesn't rest on your shoulders to save them. God chooses to save We can proclaim boldly. You know, another thing, I, 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 just practically, another way that we can approach this is, is that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it talks about that we were saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. You, you know, because of, of election now, we can walk in this place where we no longer look down our noses at the lives of people who don't measure up to our perspectives of what people should be. Because we recognize that the only reason we're where we're at Because God chose to have us where we're at. You see, you didn't earn your salvation. You didn't choose God first. You didn't didn't gain your standing before him. God chose you to have your standing before him. This is a blessing. A beautiful and wonderful blessing. And then third, let me just share with you this last point. God's election does not remove man's responsibility to believe. You see this work itself out in two different ways in this passage. First, he's talking to a people who he confronts and who he knows do not believe. In fact, along in the passage, it says that he called them to faith, but he knew the ones that didn't believe, but he still called them to faith. If you've read Romans 1, you you, you are probably familiar with the verse that says that in the end, no one will have an excuse. See, God is not about hiding and keeping these things secret. They're to be proclaimed universally. Everyone needs to hear this truth. I have no doubt that if one could come on their own and finally get it and figure it out and choose to believe, I have no doubt that God would be gracious to save them. But I have no doubt in what Jesus taught either. No one comes to the Father Unless he draws me or draws them. Because no one wants the Father. Everyone loves the darkness more than they love light. That's John 3. God's election doesn't move, remove that responsibility to believe. And so everybody we come to, everybody we speak with, everybody we share the, the gospel with, it's not, hey, do you understand it? Or, hey, do you, you think it's right or wrong? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe? But we also see it work out another way. Because with these apostles that were following him, those dozen that he turned to talk to, if you read the rest of the passage, you'll see that they said, after everybody else is gone and Jesus says, hey, are you guys going to go too? No. We don't have, where, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, we can't deny the importance of that moment that you have learned to trust in Jesus. But we can't overemphasize that moment because it comes as a result of the work that God's already done. Believer, hear me. Hear me. God hasn't chosen just to save. God chose you to be saved. Believer, if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting here now, trusting in Jesus. He looked on you and chose you. That should fill you with the sense that you are special to Him. He chose you to be cleansed by the blood of Christ, He chose your sins to be nailed to the cross. He chose you to gain an inheritance in which you will stand in glory, an inheritance that will not fade or perish, tarnish in any way. He chose you, believer. God didn't just choose to save you, but then enabled you to be saved. He didn't didn't look through the corridors of time and say, I hope they get it, I, I like that one. I hope they understand it taught us. He showed us the truth. He opened our eyes. He enabled us to this. You and I can be confident in our faith today because God chose to save us. And then he enabled us to believe. He enabled us to be saved. I don't know what else to do with that than worship. You saved me. He saved you. A non-believer. If there's somebody here today that's never trusted in Christ, let me just encourage you with this because I've been praying and I'm asking God that he would grant you faith, that he would grant you to believe in this moment, that he would grant you to come to Jesus, hear his words in 39 through 40, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should, should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, listen to those words. And I'm asking that God would open your eyes, that you trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, for your teaching. Thank you, Father, for the for the sight that you've given us and the ability to believe. I thank you, Father, for the blessing of being chosen by you. God, I know, I know that there's probably as many different perspectives about election out in this congregation and people who are learned and and studied. I I know that there's got to be different ideas about how it works. And, and, And I know, God, that we may not all agree on the finer points. But, God, would you call us under the authority of your Scripture and teach us by your word, by the word of your Son, that we may know you walk with you in submission and obedience And father if there is one here today more than one whatever god if there are people here today that don't know you would you save them now would you lead them into faith bring them to your son It's all these things i pray in jesus name amen